Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My name is Joe Clossy, and I am your traveling principal here with your latest episode on all things education. Um, folks, I run a one-stop shop for schools where I can troubleshoot your situation in school site. I can mentor and work with your staff. I can help with the 20 years of experiences that I have in all kinds of high school settings. Uh, you can check me out at www.thetravelingprincipal.com for more information. And if you'd like me to podcast about your topics of your choice, please let me know at thetravelingprincipal at gmail.com. And I'll do what I can for you at this time. Folks, um, I want to have the COVID-19 discussion take a back seat in this one. Uh, and I want to focus on one of the conclusions that I'm deriving based on this entire situation that has impacted us all. Um, this would be a complete and total ledge that I'm going out in doing so. Um, and it's revolving around the fact that at a time like now, we should be in small school settings. No question about it. You see, I believe... The smaller the school, the less complications there are that then make it impossible to gain momentum or even moving them out of the way and or going through anything in large settings. So we're going to spend some time rapping about that a bit. Um, so first, let's try a little segment here. Um Let's get trendy. Uh, let's see what some new stuff I've come across in my research and I can share with you at this time. And so, of course, Zoom, I'm hearing as many nightmares as I am success stories. I know someone close to me experienced a terrible, terrible situation with their Zoom outings. And we're starting to hear them being reported on CNN as well. Um, and that's how big this is getting. I know that huge school districts like New York City aren't even using Zoom. Um, they're going to pilot this Microsoft thing. So it's, it's all, also simply put an act of defiance with these people on those Zoom things um, on a level that leads to nothing at all. No notoriety, no glamour, only embarrassment and disruption and I mean, I ask why, but what does someone get from that? I don't know. Without knowing who you are, who cares that you did it? Um, and it's a matter of decency. <laughs> it's a matter of taking a step back and realizing that we're just trying to teach those who are probably behind the idiocracy of those hacks. And you have to ask yourself, what if we stopped? What if education just stopped. Now, around me are districts um, that are taking every precaution that's possible before making a decision about moving forward with this COVID-19. And that's because no one wants to make a mistake. However, when these districts finally do something, they are threatened with hackers now. Come on. My kids do not want to learn from their Mr. Dad anymore. Zoom is still away, man. 
Google Meets or whatever they're calling it. Not sure. It's, a, it's another good one, right? Um, however, I, I tend to want to speak about this trend, but it's not a program. It's the solution to this little nightmare of newness that we all seem to be in, right? So it's a solution. And I think really what it revolves around is preparation. As educators, we usually prepare daily, usually. However, now our preparation is not on what we will teach. It's more on how we will teach it these days. We are content experts, no doubt. Some of us pride ourselves on our ability to be experts on content delivery as well. And I feel that completely. Um, however, now we're all being sent back to school. Some of us to learn to use Chromebooks. Some to learn how to create PDFs. Some how to chat. Uh, some how to Zoom. Some how to engage via distance learning. And some how to navigate a new online program that will teach for you. And all you have to do is, I guess, monitor. <laughs> Nonetheless, we're all being forced to learn our craft over again. Uh, and I ask you this, are you learning? Are you actually being the lifelong learner that educators are supposed to be? Or are you defiant? Are you hiding behind a contract and hanging on your every word? Resisting the major task that defines your job, really. The trend that I'm seeing goes in two directions. The first is those who are trying and changing with the world around us so rapidly, right? These are the people that are attempting Zoom calls with other people to practice instead of saying to their students that they are learning and will have to call them at another time so they can't figure it out. These are the people who have learned about mesh routers and Wi-Fi boosters and things called USB-C thunderbolts and hotspots and gnarly things that usually people go to school for, I feel like. Um, they are learning how to make video tutorials, how to podcast, how to Zoom, how to meet, how to engage virtually to the level that they were comfortable with prior to, you know. So the second is those who are waiting and or haven't done much at all. They're the ones that maybe are suggesting that they get paid double because they're home and know that they're being paid already and now being asked to teach in a different platform. And they're afraid, I guess, and it stops there. I don't know. The change is scary. This newness is not what any of us signed up for. I get it. It's a, a technological world now that we live in and very hard to adjust to um, as we don't have much time. Time is not on our side, right? So I ask, do you just not adjust then? Do you just sit and wait and not adapt? You know, what about your students? which let me remind you is why you are in this job in the first place. What about them? The second direction is a lot more scary. 
because it enables those who are already either burnt by something or someone and they're bitter, or they're able to redefine their lack of efforts at a time when that's just not what we need now. Um, at a time when we have bigger fish to fry and a larger picture to concern ourselves with. So to the listeners out there, go the first route. I'm an Gen Xer and was never gifted and talented with regards to technology. In fact, it perturbs my daily functioning as a school leader because had I a PhD in ed tech, I'd probably not have as much gray hair and maybe some other health benefits, who knows, but educational technology should be like mandated in curriculum moving forward for any educator. They should be testing you on that, not on if you can read and write anymore. Um, you know, the adjustment for me was gigantic. So when was the last time, you know, you picked up a pen? I mean, who even has them laying around anymore? Um, so to recap the trend, it's to go with the technology, you know, you got to figure it out. You got to watch these people half our age, do it on YouTube and then master it somehow yourself. Um, it's humbling, but I'd take that approach over any encyclopedia or how about over a bill, um, from an expert to show you, you know, so, um, we have to prepare regardless of how uncomfortable that might make us seem. Um, and so that's it for our trend talk, you know, really just prepare. So let's talk small schools then, you know, listen, I'm, I'm not talking about charter, although I could, um, I am really talking about school size overall. It's also important to recognize um, that I taught during a time when there were 40 English teachers in the English department. And I didn't even know what the science teachers looked like because they were like miles away from me in the building. Um, then someone got smart and said that this is ineffective and not working, so let's try to micromanage, hence breaking down large schools into smaller ones. What they did at first was offer attention to kids that never had it before, and it was nuts. Um, when we would hear from parents, because they would say things like, um, this is school that you see on TV. And we took that as a compliment because um, I don't know if you remember that show, Boston Public. That was the only school show I could think of um, that was on TV, and that was rad because it was a good show. And it seemed like kids were learning, and that was a good school. So I don't know. Um, but then they took a turn for the awesome, um, the small schools, because they added this thematic approach, right? And a leader that I held and, and I guess still hold in high regard in education in New York City, um, who at the time was an AP of the culinary department in a large comprehensive campus, captured what the building could offer and seize the school kitchens, turning them into classrooms um, and and made it a, a culinary school for high school students. Years later, he would even build a school store that funded a lot of the school programs that the kids were in um, 
based on selling what they made in those classes. Um, and what he did was take advantage of a school building that had an amazing place for kids to learn to cook and bake and let that drive the focus of a small school that would surround it. Additionally, a hospitality and management school was up near the cafeteria floor um, purposely, right? So I've seen schools with existing computer labs become tech-focused. The coolest by far was the Urban Assembly New York Harbor School, um, where kids learned mar uh, marine biology and maritime sciences associated with said crafts. And it was super sought after to get into the school. Um, these smaller thematic schools became more successful because of the level of engagement coupled with this like holistic attention from teachers, counselors, administrators, and even families. And we would work together as a team to help educate these kids. The opportunities were endless for them. And in small schools environments, it seemed that successes were all over the place. Let's not even talk about discipline. Discipline at a large school where I started, um, they they were run by managerial giants, I guess, is, is the best way to say it in my book. These cats ran a well-oiled machine against a population of kids that were extremely challenging and tested them every day, all day. I know someone who was an AP of security at my first school. Afterwards, years later, he was like rewarded by the New York City Department of Education with a position in schools that wasn't nearly as hard and therefore sustainable. This guy was a warrior, um, but I don't know many other people that I can think of that have come across an education that can do that job at all. Um, I had it as a major role of my job at the culinary school, um, and that was only for 450 kids. 5,000 would have destroyed me on so many levels. Uh, so now, according to an article on greatschools.com, um, a 2005 study of 25 different small schools across the nation found that on average, small schools spent 17% less per student than comparable schools in their district while achieving equivalent or better results, right? So if we wanted to start somewhere, it might as well be with spending and then go right at results, right? When I hear that small schools are more economical, I tend to wonder in what areas. So right now, large school districts are scrambling to put together online learning platforms, right, currently, and it's taking forever. What seems like weeks of training, trials of different programs, big businesses have a ton to lose and so much to gain, and this process takes time to complete. Time here is money, right, even in education. However, the quicker, the better, the easier, right? Same game. Um, you can read more about that article uh, in the show notes, but it's, it's astonishing to think about just smaller schools being more economical. Um, I don't know. That, that's a great place to start. Let's get into what I'm learning are the four major benefits of smaller schools um, not talking about finances. So the first is increased attendance. So 
in the small learning community that I started with was called College Now. Um, and it was affiliated with Lehman College in the Bronx, which gave grant money to teachers to teach an extra class period, be affiliated with the technology. So I got a laptop when like classrooms didn't even have a computer in them. Um, and it bridged the gap between high school and college by including early college awareness starting in ninth grade, um, a holistic learning, which led to direct interests um, connected to pathways to pursue respected fields of study at post high school levels. Um, and this small network of support and collaboration, which in 2000 seemed so foreign to education. The motto of the school was if they showed up, we could teach them. And I dug it completely and it worked on so many levels. It was awesome. So with this also in the definition of and in the definition of so many others as well. However, here holistic education included a dedicated person who had outreach and bridged the gap of home and school at all costs. These kids came to school and we taught them. Logic, direct correlation of any data on any scale would show you that the two make each other work well, right? So first one being increased attendance. If we're all over them, um, they're going to come in. Number two, student achievement shows positive trends and establishes more realistic versions of authentic and engaging education. So here with smaller numbers, this means it's more manageable. Person-to-person -person conversations, collaboration, communication on every level, accountability, clarity and expectations, etc. Right? We're talking about student achievement, which can show these trends quicker in those settings. Um, and a more realistic version of authentic education is is engagement, right? That That's where engagement begins. Number three, elevated teacher satisfaction. I mean, across the board, obviously. No need to even elaborate on that. If we're dealing with increased attendance, kids are showing up, and then we're dealing with positive trends in achievement, of course people are going to be satisfied, right? And the fourth one, of course, is the National Education Organization website stated a study in 2005 that school climates in smaller school settings are more positive and show improvement in positive directions when compared in large schools. So overall now we're talking about just this positive school climate. I mean, those are some seriously awesome reasons that differentiate the difference between large and small schools. Now, current president of the state of California's Board of Education, Linda Darling-Hammond, stated that data reflected improved instructional quality with smaller settings, and these factors led to greater job satisfaction. The article goes on to talk about greater student visibility, leading to better relationships between teachers and students, which leads to more personalized learning without a doubt. How about increased communication between administrators and teachers? No one's invisible in a smaller setting. 
right? I mean, I remember faculty conferences once a month where at least 200 staff were like jammed into the library while APs did their speech and the principal said stuff too. I mean, we had an AP of attendance who oversaw an office of clerical staff who made calls, program classes because that fell in that department for some reason and chartered stats on attendance. Um, I have no idea how that was accurate or relevant, but we sat there and pretended to listen. And at 3.44 p.m., one minute before time for release, um, some of the veteran teachers would even stand up in their spots to remind or nudge the principal that he was contractually out of time. And we had to leave which even if it was important, these cats would like still go. Um, now we collaborate on grade level, sometime by department, depending on the time of year and importance. Weird to think of it difference now. Um, however, this started with smaller settings. Otherwise, in the larger ones, this is looked at as like clicks and just not a good thing. Um, I taught several classes after the large school I started in. Um, it took it out on the um, notion that the, the program just didn't have any more funding. And the large school, I think, really took it out on that program for dividing them up ultimately because it was failing miserably. Um, but they, they managed to figure out a way to justify pulling the, fun, the funding for the program anyway and sunk that money into the football program at that site. It was pathetic because the team stunk and the head coach was not a winner. Um, but he was great friends with the principal, and that's the stuff that happens at large schools, period. So... Um, let me ask you, which seems easier to manage, 3,000 or 300? Which do you think you'll remember everyone's name quicker in? Which one offers more chances for holistic education? Which one increases accountability due to greater exposure? Now, which one do you think limits due to its size? Right, think about that which one may need to partner with other sites because they don't have the staff or don't have the campus space or don't have the sports or don't have robotics or don't have buses or after-school tutoring or summer school. I could go on and on. However, enough small ones will create all of your answers and foster an environment which is based on collaboration due to this. How about this question and and... You know, I, I'll kind of end it. Is there too small of a school? What about research that suggests the ideal school size is around 600 to 750? Therefore, what about 300? Is it too small? Hence the questions from above, does too small prohibit? Well, no one else is sharing. So, I mean, I guess they do. When others aren't in it for the kids, um, then you get 
you know, you get stuck if you, if you can't borrow. Um, but when others are in it for the kids, then you get a nice end result, which is a better prepared kid for the future. So at a time like now, I will say small seems better. Small sites can implement change quicker, can organize quicker and more effectively, can adapt to change, can collaborate, can survey, can collect and distribute, can communicate more clearly in a time like now. Large includes so much red tape, so many angles to evaluate, so many routes to travel down with each decision. Why? When is it about kids again when they get so big? that a month goes by and education cannot take place. I believe even large school districts in urban cities across the United States are back in sessions already online. What is going on in some of these districts? They're just too big, I guess. Too many people doing too many things. Break them up. Break them down. Divide them up. No new school should be comprehensive anymore. That is not a trend, folks. That's the opposite of a trend, and it's costly, and it's not as effective, and it's not what's best for kids. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Joe Clossy, and I am your traveling principal here, and I'm asking that if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to my podcast, available on Apple Music and Spotify. You can also get it on www.thetravelingprincipal.com. Folks, quick shout out to my listeners in Canada. I see you up there, my neighbors, um, and to my Ace Charter families, uh, the Hatlers especially, who are a breath of fresh air with their spirit and rejuvenated me completely with some compliments to know that they are enjoying this as much as I am recording it. Um, folks, thanks all of you for listening. That is all I have. Stay safe out there. Wash your hands. More episodes coming out. Uh, I got some fun stuff on the burners, some interviews, some cool peeps out there, good times. Um, Take care, everyone, just like in school size. Find that balance. 